Thank you for joining IAB There. Hi, folks. Uh, welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. I'm Angelina Eng, uh, VP of Measurement and Attribution here at IAB and IAB Tech Lab. Today is August 19th, and I have a, a, a very special guest, Sean Rieksicker, CEO and founder of Central. And then today we'll be talking about innovation in a time of automation and recovery. So let's bring Sean onto the screen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ah, thank God the sun seems to be starting to peek out here in New York. Um, so, Sean, thank you. Yes. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, so let's start off with the uh, a two-minute uh, overview of what Centro is. Uh, for some background, I was in media planning and buying many, many, many years ago. And I knew, I knew you guys as kind of the, the, the source where I, uh, if I needed local newspaper or local content, um, you were a great organization that uh, helped facilitate uh, the partnerships with uh, many publishers. And then you kind of went into media planning and buying. So you were, you were a network, but also uh, an agency at the same time. And it, I, you know, in our conversation, it's changed a bit over the years. So um, if you can talk about what Centro is, what you guys are up to, and, and uh, that would be great. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, I think it, had we stayed the same, uh, we probably wouldn't be in business, uh, given how much this industry continues to change. So uh, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So the quick, uh, for those of you who don't know Centro, so um, I started Centro over 15 years ago. And the mission that I started with is the same today as it actually was back then. It just is that the industry has actually gone through a lot of evolution and a lot of rapid change over many years. But when I started the organization, it was to build the most comprehensive the most automated and the most intelligent digital media planning, buying and operation system for the entire industry. I just continued to look at the buy side and the sell side and all of the work that was going on in between. And I felt that there was a lot of efficiency to gain. And, um, and so that was the beginning of it. And I believed that if we could build this automation platform it would actually provide a lot of benefit. It would, you know, make people's lives easier. It would, you know, give them more mental health. It would actually help agencies give better client service. It would actually create greater profitability, uh, possibly even allow for people to charge less. And so that has always been the mission. Now there was one big um, step inside of our history, which was when programmatic was created because we started building our software a few years in advance of that. And so um, we spent about four to five years uh, from you know 2013 to 2017, totally rebuilding everything from scratch. Um, but the way that I think about us philosophically or fundamentally is, and this way I talk about it with our team, is that we're not trying to build software that you buy media through we are building software that you run an entire media business on top of. And so the kind of the crown jewel uh, in Centro is Basis, which is the platform. And just shortly, if you think about Basis, if you took kind of an ERP enterprise level software where you manage your people, your clients, your brands, uh, manages all of your workflow automation, financial reconciliation, uh, you take a DSP and then you take a business intelligence platform similar to a Datarama or a TapClicks um, or a NinjaCat. And, and then you also take a Slack, which is really communication, collaboration, messaging. And if you had seamlessly built those four things together, 
in a single sign-on platform that helps you automate your direct buying, your programmatic buying, your search and your social buying. Uh, that's what Basis is. So it's uh, it's been a long road. Um, uh, most of the time it's been fun. It's a lot of challenges given how fast our industry moves, but I'm um, really excited for where we're at and uh, how well uh, things are going. So <clears throat> in, in the past 15 years or even 20, um, you're, you're, you, you've been able to bring all, jigger all these uh, pieces together. Uh, however, a lot of the industry has been pretty quiescent in uh, developing some sort of point to, uh, point end solution or you know front end to back end solution. What is what is your approach? How are how are, how are you um, looking at, at at the challenges that the industry has? I'm going to need a dictionary uh, to work with you. Uh, and <laughs> can you define quiescent for me, please? Well, quiescent means. Oh, where's my little dictionary here? Uh, marked by inactivity or repose, tranquility at rest, or causing no problems or symptoms. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, look, here's the look, you know, and for you, I mean, I'll go back to the point where you first started. A lot of people know Centro as the place where, especially in the early days, if you're a holding company, you would work with us to buy hundreds or thousands of local newspapers, TV sites, radio sites, whatever. And we were never an ad network. We always did it in a one-to-one -one transparent direct buying fashion. And the only way that you could ever do that and scale it is to really just create software that automates a lot of the work that a normal person would do in sending an RFP and creating an, an insertion order and doing the ad trafficking and all the reporting and all of those things. And then obviously all the financial reconciliation on the back end. Um, I started uh, building Centro in the local industry, um, one, because I knew it really well. Two, I thought it was incredibly valuable from a brand equity and, and audience perspective. And then the third was it was, I think, unarguably the most complicated, the most difficult aspect of the digital industry. And my belief was that if we could build a comprehensive automation system for local, then, you know, uh, automating kind of the mid-market, regional and or national actually was really easy. And so that has always been mission. And I think if we look at the last 10 years, the main driving point or headline is that complexity just continues to increase. And a lot of people will attempt to equate a DSP with automation, but they're actually fundamentally different concepts. And I would argue that uh, programmatic buying hasn't done anything to increase efficiency or decrease complexity. It's actually increased all of those things. So today, um, when you go into a typical ad agency, a media buyer or media strategist or associate, they have to manage anywhere from seven to 12 different logins just to do their job. And so we have just entered in, um, you know, you know, we've got SEM platforms, we've got DSPs, we've got social buying platforms, we got to work in, you know, multiple different DSPs, uh, we've got BI systems, we've got ad serving systems. I mean, it's just, it's not efficient, it's not scalable, um, and it's not healthy. And so to me, there needs to be a underlying foundational platform that stitches all of these platforms together so that you can log into one system and you have the ability to do most of your work inside of it that communicates with all the other systems uh, in the tree. And that's what we've just been focused on. Look, it's taken me longer than I thought it was going to, uh, but automating human activity 
in a way that makes sense and in a way that people love and enjoy using it, it's just very hard to do. And it's, it's why a lot of industries are still working on becoming better uh, efficiency and, and, and better automation. And how does your, uh, how does your system in terms of, you know, what's dear to my heart is around data and measurement. How does it help to streamline data? Um, you know, does it improve it? Does it, um, from an analytics perspective, does it bring things together a lot easier? How, how does that work? Yeah, well, the first thing you do is it act, you, you just remove um, all of the manual work that takes place in our industry today. So if I go into, uh, you know, put myself in the shoes of a media um, individual, I have to get a report back to my client. Okay, that will cover off on, you know, possibly linear, but also all of my search campaigns and my line items and social campaigns and, you know, my native campaigns, my CTV, uh, my programmatic stuff, any direct buying stuff, like all of those things. Now, a lot of agencies have gone through a lot of R&D work to set up a BI system um, and that connects with all of those different platforms. The big problem with it, though, is that it's actually... Uh, it's missing the contract data, which is also not connected to the financial ERP and, and reconciliation system. And so for us, we always say that you have to start with well-organized, clean data in the beginning of a process that tracks all the way through, <clears throat> all the way through the end of the month reconciliation. And so that means your employees, your clients, your brands, your verticals, all of your vendors, and it doesn't matter how you buy them directly or through a programmatic uh, system and then every single piece of data funnels into a massive data warehouse that exists forever and ever. So at any point you can log in and you just go in and say, how much is this client spent on this brand or in programmatic or social direct? How did it perform? Um, but then there's a lot of remote collaboration tools where it helps teams and especially in the pandemic environment, but it, it, it just helps teams stay better organized, you know, stay streamlined and they don't miss things. There's less mistakes, you know, faster turnaround. So there's a lot of things that I think just uh, benefits of just bringing things together. And I think it's a natural evolution. Most industries, you would see this, you know, there, and I always will use, you know, you could use H, you know, finance, which is before you'd have a bookkeeping system and an accounting system and, you know, a Black-Scholes model, you know, uh, piece of software. Now you've got NetSuite that does all of those things for you. Same thing with Workday and, and HR. And so the media industry needs something very similar, you know, much bigger enterprise level um, software. I mean, I, I remember the day when I was running ad ops at both Sensu and Merkle. And the biggest challenges were that we had all these point solutions. We had a separate system for a ticketing, uh, for ticketing, right? So trouble and troubleshooting. So uh, our buyers would send over tickets with traffic sheets and and so forth. Um, then we have a billing reconciliation. Everyone had their own spreadsheets of how they were managing their budgets and how how uh, media buyers were pacing and all that stuff. So it sounds like your platform really helps to bring all that together. Um, I'm just wondering. You know, for for those companies that are either small, have small teams, or you know, brands that are building in-house uh, capabilities, is this is it? If you have a very small team, can you manage all the all those things uh, through through uh, a very small team, or is this more where you have like a large agency where there's a programmatic team, a social team, um, a search team that are doing their own thing, but it just brings that together? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, the way to think about it is this, and it's really interesting. Um, as and as you mentioned, right, Centro still has 
you know, a really large services organization, which we provide, you know, help and support to agencies and or brands uh, that ask us to do. It. And obviously we operationalize it through our platform. And um, and so on that, you know, and I'd say there's 400 people that we have and we've got people segmented like you have. We've got a social buying team and a search buying team and a strategy team and a you know programmatic buying team. But the really nice thing about it is that they're all working inside of one piece of software. And so they're all communicating inside. It's not like you're logging out and going into Slack or you're communicating over email. All of the communi- team internal team communication happens inside the software and the communication is connected to the work, which is, I always say email is one of the most horrible, disparate forms of communication because you've got to do all the organization. So that's, so that's just one issue. Now, relative to um, how it works, the, the beauty of why I think it's, such I might be biased. I think it's the best software in the industry. But the, the nice thing is if you're a big agency, everyone has a role. And then we've got, you have the ability to define who can do what. So you can section things off and give people permissions. But you'll have uh, the search team that will do the search buying. And you'll have the programmatic team that may do the programmatic buying team. You'll have the ad ops team that'll do the trafficking. You'll have maybe the reporting team that'll look at performance reports and do optimizations. And so they'll all have different accesses, but they're all looking at the exact same thing. So that's one piece of your big agency. But I also think that the the real big power is if you move outside of the hold codes or the really large independents, the further down in the mid-market you go, the more likely it is that one person is wearing multiple hats. They may be doing the RFPing direct to publishers. They may be and doing that negotiation. They may be also doing programmatic buying. They might be logging into Facebook. And so uh, on many levels, although there's, I think, great value to the big, you know, when you have one login versus seven, it really helps your life. And we found that in the mid-market agency world where I think that, you know, the feedback has just been off the charts on how much they've loved it. It continues to help. And, and it just, it really smooths out their life, saves them a lot of time. Now, um, I know a big uh, challenge that we had was that in a lot of platforms, there is an open field for a campaign name, for placement names, for creative names. And then, you know, and, and I've seen a great many other taxonomies outside of what I've, I've helped to develop in, in the organizations I've been, where it's like 25 fields of information um, and the amount of human error that goes into it. Is there, is there, you know, something that you have that is helping to organize the data, not only with the, let's just say, direct buys or programmatic, but also with social and search because they're they're so different from from display and video. Yeah, well, just remember we interface with Facebook and uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, AdWords, so we bring in all of the data. So you do have one screen where all of your social search, direct programmatic, CTV stuff's all in there. Um, <laughs> you brought up something that I ha- it has gnawed at me, and I have found so annoying for this industry for so many years. It's this placement naming convention thing. And it's and it truly, and I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of the history on it because I, I fought internally us really doing anything about it. You got, we have to understand the reason that placement naming conventions, which are just a beast, there's a lot of error. It's a lot of manual work. You know, it's easy to make an oversight. The reason that placement naming conventions began in our industry was because the industry didn't have mature, well-structured data warehouses on the back end that could accommodate all of the various elements that people wanted to query uh, campaign data by. Now, if you had actually had a really well-constructed enterprise-level system, all of those data elements you could actually query on the back end through a BI system. 
Okay. So now the good news is, you know, we have it, a lot of other companies and BI systems will have that, but, um, we kept running into this, oh, displacement naming convention, we need that in the system, we need that. So finally, last year, um, we made a decision just to go ahead and build it. So now it's actually really cool because rather than having a placement name field, you now have a placement name field and then you have a placement naming convention field and you actually set up the uh, nomenclature or the syntax ahead of, for the brand, it could be different for every client or, you know, client or brand. And then as you actually fill in the fields or the vendor fills in the fields, it automatically builds the placement name for you. So you never have to actually, you know, download a spreadsheet, you know, replace all the human language with computer language. And you allow yourself to actually keep the human language, but then also have the computer language, which then you can choose when you export to the ad server. Do you want to send over the placement naming convention, which most people do, or do you actually want to send over the human language so that if you're looking at it, you can see it? Because placement names are so hard to figure out what is this placement to. Uh, believe you me, I know. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> it was always uh, always having to send back spreadsheets back and forth between the buyer and the ad ops team to fix a certain data point inside the naming convention. And then once it gets executed, having um, having the analytics team, I'm, I'm just hearing my, mm -hmm. my, my work hubby back at, at the Dency days. His name is Jason Levin, by the way, who mm -hmm. would, would be yelling at me that the naming convention, uh, that, that, that it was off. Right. There was an extra space. No one's filled out a certain field. So this sounds like a great solution. <laughs> one error, one error and it messes everything up. And then the other thing is this. And I don't know exactly how to uh, put a value on it or quantitative value on it is mistakes. I mean, mistakes cost agencies in profit. And uh, a lot of those mistakes is because it's not well project managed. Somebody makes an error on something along those lines. You know, the other thing about you know, that I think our platform and I think all platforms need to think about is it can't be just a system where people have to go in and do everything. It's got to be a system that is that helps you and reminds you and helps you make decisions in the right time. So throughout the entire platform, I don't want to call them necessarily breadcrumbs or just alerts, which is like, hey, you know, the creative needs to be trafficked or this campaign is going live tomorrow. Or when you log in and you get to the dashboard, you will see if you're working on 30 different campaigns, every single line item that may be underperforming and you can just, you know, hot click right into, is that even a word anymore? That just, I felt like a flashback in 1999, <laughs> but you can click directly into the line item and start working on it and make changes or optimizations or communicate with the vendor uh, super easy. And so the whole goal here is that if we, you know, and then by the way, mistakes hurt your relationship with your clients. That's the other thing about it. Not only just do you lose money, but, you know, you've got a bad client experience. And so we want to help improve both of those things, help the agency save it and make sure that the client feels that, uh, you know, they're getting, you know, you know, rated 10 out of 10 on a customer service client level uh, relationship. So during, you know, since March, with all the, not the pandemic and, and everyone being kind of in solitary confinement, relatively, right? Um, how, how have you seen the behavior shift? Uh, has there been more of a need or communication increased what's going on yeah um look obviously i mean this has been hard it's been harsh uh, for everyone um and it's impacted our industry greatly and um nobody would know you know i mean what a year right nobody would want any of this it's horrible it's destructive on so many different levels um now 
putting it in context though, um, in a weird way, it probably will help us, or it actually already has that when any type of recession happens or there's a schism in, in society or business operations, um, and there's enough, you know, Harvard business study, you know, uh, you know, Boston consulting group things that these are the moments in which executives tend to look at how can we rebuild back in a smarter way and not just repeat the same mistakes as old. So, um, in a, so it's, you know, whether it's good or bad, I don't like the using the pandemic as it, but we've actually signed more clients and we've signed larger clients because I believe that most executives are saying, I want to, as we look to rebuild, are there more efficient, smarter, more intelligent ways to do it? And then because we're the only platform that's got remote collaboration, messaging, communication software built into it, um, I think that's just been really helpful relative to the conversations that we have. So let's talk about my other favorite topic, billing reconciliation and invoicing. Um, yeah, I uh, I would say that you know without a lot of automation, it, we're still dealing with a lot of manual spreadsheets that are being exchanged through email, invoices that are hard copied and, and sent over by mail. Um, there are a few companies that are uh, uh, linking into APIs into into billing systems, but not everyone's doing this. How has uh, how, how have you approached? Invoicing. I mean, this is the this is what where our economy is is based on the exchange of, of currency, and it takes up about forty to fifty percent of of a media buyer's time uh, in in a lot of cases. Yeah, look, I this has always been a I've had a soft spot because, um, you know, those days after the end of the month where you know media experts should be spending time working with their clients, working on strategy, you know, me doing research. They're spending their time looking at data, matching invoices to line items. It is the worst part of that individual's life every single month. And the reason it is, is because there's not a single system that keeps track of the original contract, all the different terms relative to it, as well as any changes along the way that interfaces with the ad serving and or reporting systems that actually at the end of the month compares every single line item to every single dollar in the contract and then actually just does all the math and calculation for you. And so, you know, we've, you know, that was our first plan. We rebuilt the platform and that was a big part of the first platform. We've always said it's, it's a scientific accounting finance platform at its core and, you know, accuracy down to the, Four to eight decimal points is what we actually look at um, on every single line item. And then the other thing, but I want to make sure I'm uh, proper when I say this. So we just do the reconciliation, um, or I should say we basis does the reconciliation for the client. Um, but we're not a um, accounting ERP or financial ERP system. So basis connects to those systems. So if you're an agency and you're using Freewheel, Freewheel is a, a partnership that we have. And so we send all of the data over to uh, Freewheel, which is uh, it's now Freewheel, used to be called Strata. Uh, we have a, a partnership with Advantage. Um, we're, we're integrated with NetSuite. We have the ability, the, the data is there with an open API, so we can send it to an SAP, to an Oracle. And so our belief is our, not, our goal is we're not trying to 
uh, redo financial systems of records. We're just trying to get the data clean to get sent to the proper invoice and reconciliation um, so you can pay people. Yep. Uh, we do have a question in the queue. So someone is curious on your perspective of IDFA removals coming from Apple. Do you think this will have a catastrophic effect uh, to attribution, or do you think that asking users to opt in will work? So I was really hoping that this question was not going to come up. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, and the only reason I say that because my, you know, kind of shorthand joke on 2020 is that um, I didn't come into this year expecting to become an infectious disease uh, and a race relations expert. So um, that's not a bad thing. That's not a, uh, a, a sad thing in the sense of, but I've been spending a lot of time on that, and I've actually haven't been spending as much time uh, as my team has been specifically on this. Look, I just find conceptually that the um, that the demise of the cookie, okay, the legislation combined with what the big tech is doing with browsers is absolutely going to have a fundamental effect on our industry. There's just no way that it can't. I also tend to be slightly critical of our industry in that, I mean, it, that's like the, all the conversation is about how do we get around the legislation, you know, versus looking at what is the spirit and the intent of the legislation and can we honor that and then actually find a way to actually create a fair value exchange with publishers, with consumers, um, and theoretically with brands. Um, I think GDPR has been um, pointless. Uh, from an actual user perspective. I mean, it's just been annoying. It's wasted time. It's sucked up bandwidth uh, for all of us. I don't think it's had the intended effect that it's needed to have. Um, and I absolutely believe that the data is going to be less. I think the data is going to be dirtier. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot less data for all of us to work on. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The one thing I say is everyone keeps talking about that this is going to be, you know, destroy our industry. And my perspective is this. Advertising has existed for 250 years in this country. It's always been a very healthy and a robust industry. Okay, media, you know, brands are always going to need to be able to talk and reach consumers in some way, shape, or form. Okay, maybe it'll hurt specific audience targeting, but it's not going to hurt the industry. The industry is going to be fine. All right? It's just we're all just going to have to adapt. So I don't sit here from a place of fear, and I own, you know, one of the best DSPs, you know, across the world. And, you know, I'm not scared of what the demise of the cookie is going to be. We'll figure it out, and there's ways to do it, but let's do it in a really respectful and healthy manner with the spirit of uh, protecting consumers and protecting brands. Yeah, I, I think it's more of uh, how we, how as an industry we approach the use of data and how we process it. Because right now we have a, a lot of brands and a lot of companies trying to solve multi-touch attribution, uh, looking at different models, trying to connect offline to online and online to offline. And I think there's this, you know, I think we, we should continue to, uh, to uh, you know, strive for the nirvana. However, I, I do think that we are taking a few steps back in, in, in getting there. Um, I think if we can do it without actually getting user level data <clears throat> that is, that is protecting the, uh, that is respecting the, the data of the, the consumer, as well as the publisher and the advertisers and the ecosystem, um, I think we would have a, a very, what I'll call harmonious uh, industry. It's just a matter of how we how we rethink the way that we want to approach it. Um, yeah, I, 
sorry. I'm sorry, Ange. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So I, I, I think, you know, uh, companies that are gathering a lot of data, especially law, law level files, um, uh, they'll, they'll need to, you know, be more comfortable with aggregate data and figuring out how to, to, to look at the, uh, a different type of data set. Yeah, I'll make a couple of just, I know we're running out of time. I'll make a couple of just quick, uh, maybe final points on this piece of it, which is, um, you know, first of all, look, advertising industry just overall is going to be fine. It will require new models because we're just going to have to figure it out. But we've, we've always been building models to figure out attribution. It might be a little bit fuzzier and not as forensic as we'd like it to. That's fine. We're still going to be able to exist overall. Um, I do uh, have fear that this just does more to hurt the industry and that it consolidates even more power in the hands of the big tech companies overall. And I think that long term, I think we all need to be just taking a very hard and serious look at that. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is this, that the, and I, you know, I've talked about this with the IEB terms and conditions, and I recognize them on an IEB call, so I feel sorry if I'm being critical. But if I look at the IEB and the four A's, T's and C's, I, for years, have said that it has exposed brands uh, to their demise. It's not protected marketers. And what I mean by that is there should be language in the T's and C's that says no one is able to actually you know, reuse, repurpose, repool, share data, or have anyone else retarget off of a brand's data without express written consent by the actual brand. And I don't want to bury it in some form of you know, small little you know, fuzzy legalese. I want it spelled out because I'm like, you know, there are too many companies that are siphoning off data from the bid stream uh, that is flouting the intent of what the guidelines are that the IEBs established. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure if I believe in industry self-regulation because in the medical and the, in the uh, law field, you'll actually have a medical board or a law field and you can get disbarred. We don't really have that. We've got people in you know, exchanges policing people, but you know it's a cat and mouse game um, that just keeps you know it's whack-a-mole with these guys. And so, um, and then the other thing is if. There's no penalty for staying within the rules of the IAB. Um, then what is the incentive not to do it? Or, you know, or, or are we creating a perverse incentive? So I think that there needs to be just a level of understanding. I think we need to make sure everyone's above board. My only point is with everyone is this. I don't care what your business model is. I don't care how you make money. All I ask is that there's a level of transparency about your data, about how you collect it, how you use it, and just make sure that if all of your clients knew it, or if it shows up on the front page of the New York Times in a story, that this is what you do as a business, that you're okay with it, and that your customer is okay with it. And if, that, if you can live with that, fantastic with your business. And if not, you should probably think about doing something different than what you're doing today. Here, here. <laughs> That's some great points. Um Unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, I would have loved to ask you more questions. Maybe we can move this conversation to the side or um, do something in the future. But really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Um, oh, thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. And thank Thanks, you for Aaron. all the questions, especially Sean Fowler. So, I mean, <laughs> Steve, Steve. Fowler. <laughs> so, did you, know, um, did you know that IAB There is now a podcast? You can listen to our whole archive wherever you get your podcast. And it's not just IAB there. On Tuesday, our IAB policy podcast features experts discussing the legal and regulatory development changing our industry. On Wednesday, the IAB leaders discuss what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. Go to IAB.com backslash podcast to get everything you need. That little URL that you see on the corner. Um, go right there. On our next IAB there, we're excited to welcome Denise Torres, founder and CEO of the Ignited Company. 
I Be There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ant, John Ward, Carrie Villanova. I'm Angelina Ang. Thanks for watching. Come back next Tuesday because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to I Be There. Thanks a lot, folks.